You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. What a, what a privilege to be here this morning and to read to you. Isaiah in Indiana. Much as Isaiah come to warn with poetry, the fall has done with orange, red, and yellow storm of hardwood leaves and the setting sun. The swans like royalty still stroll the lake in pairs and puddles like satin rainbow with oil as warm as coal. Industrious, the black squirrels fatten. The first few leaves release and death will surely come for us to prove its harvest, gray and whitest breath and coats that make it hard to move. In time of war afar, some cheer for enemies to kill the other. We side with those we think are near to what we want, believe, or suffer. God gives and takes away. He gives again. But now he will unwind the sun, permit the cold, the leaves we worship and gather he tears with wind. The bleached corn stalks will be laid low and gray, confirm December bleakness, the beauty of the blood then go to white, the paradox of weakness. The contrite heart he won't despise, this fire falling from the trees like glowing coal ignites the eyes and brings the world again to its knees. For strength, we strive through winter illness and meditate on sleep, awaiting another fire from the stillness, hope for a light accelerating out of the January ground, for warm and wind from the south. But how that seems a world away, unwound when we are plentiful with snow. White makes for an anxiety that we could lose what we have built. Our eros to mere piety and pride of life to mortal guilt. The seraphim with covered face can't look upon the evil we call good and sing against disgrace. Holy, holy is the Lord. The way from fall is further fall until we're lost in a wood and then descending to grotesque lost we must fulfill and not quite comprehending that path is walked already by a servant struck despised of low esteem a lamb of grief denied silent chastised poured out Although the den of enemies rejoicing seems torture to the prisoner, he hears a burning, still, small voice sing to every hungry listener, the widow, orphan, poor, the meek, martyrs before the firing squad, and even wise men who still seek the Prince of Peace and mighty God lift up their eyes to see brought low the faithless prince, the cruel judge, the traitor, liar, the violent foe, the cowardly who will not budge to help the hurt shall drink the cup of trembling, dregs of fury, ash. But more 
the righteous looking up shall wake and see that spring green flash of gold when rainfall wakes the bee and flower the entire earth and streams the river to the sea as labor comes to rest and birth. John, thank you so much for that. You know, when I knew I was asking a, a, quite a bit, uh, a number of weeks ago when I had asked if he would be willing to write something for us as we begin this Advent season together, and I encourage you, as I have done, you hear it the first time, and I encourage you to read it again, and read it again, and read it again, and as you continue to take that in, what you will discover is newfound meaning and a deeper depth of what it means for us to enter into this season together, mindful of the incredible blessings of God, mindful that Jesus Christ truly is Emmanuel, who is God with us. May you be able to experience him this Advent season as that wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Friends, as we prepare to hear what God has to say to us this morning, as I feel that weight this morning, would you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you that we are given the privilege of coming into Lord, this place to worship you. Lord, how our hearts long in anticipation for something better. Then, Lord, the world that we see around us mixed with beauty and brokenness. Lord, as we prepare to hear your word this morning. What we would ask is that, Lord, as we sense perhaps the brokenness in our own lives, that we would see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ as that wonderful counselor. Would you open our eyes so that we can see you? Would you open our ears so that we can hear you? And would you open our hearts this morning and fill us with your Holy Spirit? And we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I know that I have shared this quote with you before, but it seems so fitting as we come together this morning. The quote comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This is what he says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Friends, that is why I was struck by the brilliance and the beauty of John's poem. It sees the beauty of the world and yet it recognizes that it is broken. It sees the greatness of God's creation and yet understands that all of creation is groaning. It looks back and it looks ahead. It looks at what Scripture tells us is the already and the not yet. 
It tells us of Isaiah's vision as exiles living in anticipation of that coming deliverance when God would send his Messiah. And it reminds us as we live as exiles here of God's coming deliverance for us when that Messiah comes again. It reminds us that during this Advent season, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, and it means the arrival, or it means coming. It actually, scholars would say, comes from the Greek word parousia, and that parousia is often referred to as the second coming of Christ. You know, um, I am, uh, I'm going to ask for your gentle graciousness here a second. I need to go. My heart is fluttering, and I feel like I'm going to pass out. So I, I need to go and grab some medicine, which I hope is in my office. Actually, I'm going to have Andrew do it. It's the left-hand side as you open that up uh, on my desk drawer. There should be little blue pills inside of that. So, no, 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 I'll be all right. It just means um, I can't talk with probably my normal uh, exuberance. So, anyway, um, don't panic. I'll be all right. It just happened that as... <laughs> You know, I have had one other time where I had, uh, I had to preach sitting down. And uh, it was actually an amazing morning because it was also a story anyway. And so I got to, to preach. I was sick. And uh, if I stood up, I was going to be very sick. And so I actually preached sitting down. So thank you very much for that. But don't panic. Don't panic. You know, the first century historian, Josephus, when he was writing about Jewish-Greek history, uh, he was writing in the first century. And one of the things that he said is, uh, as he was writing in the language of the Greeks, which was not the language of the Hebrews, and he was writing about Jewish history, and he looked at parousia in that context. What would it mean for a non-religious, non-Jewish person? And one of the things that he said is that the word parousia means when a king is going to come and visit his subjects. It is what you would consider a royal presence. So when a king or a queen would go and see his, his, his subjects, there would be a royal presence. There would be a parousia. Well, no wonder Herod freaks out when he learns that another royal presence has come into his kingdom. No wonder you and I struggle when we think about that parousia, this idea of us having to bend the knee to anyone else. Because we often think that we are the emperors of our own lives. And so here we come, Jesus, as the embodiment of the royal presence. 
And he invites any of us into his kingdom when we bend the knee to him. Revelation eleven fifteen says this, how you and I long for that coming. It says the kingdom of our Lord, of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And so Advent is a time when we look back. But Advent is also a time when we look ahead, when we look to this royal presence, when Jesus will come again. And the wonderful beauty of this royal presence, no, that's okay, but thank you very much for looking. I'll have Nicole bring them for the second service if I'm going to need it, but thanks, Andrew. I'm actually feeling better right now. So when we think about this royal presence, you know, so often you and I think that heaven is our ultimate goal, right? That this royal presence, when Jesus comes, he's going to come and take us to heaven. But I want us to understand that the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring is actually a new heaven and a new earth. What God has created in the very beginning in Genesis, that perfection is what we will see in Revelation when everything is made perfect again and the poems that John has to write will not talk about the pain of the world that we live in. Thank you. Instead, it will be the beauty that we see all around us. Instead of the evil we call good, it will be God's incredible presence with us. And that's really the beauty of this season. This is why, as we talk about unwrapping Christmas together, what are we actually unwrapping? You know, when we, when we talk about unwrapping Christmas, our thoughts do not immediately go to the things of heaven. Oftentimes, they come down to the things of earth. When we talk about unwrapping Christmas, most of us probably think of, well, I've got to get all my Christmas decorations out, and I've got to get my Christmas tree up. That's what unwrapping means. Maybe for some of us and kids, you know, you'll, you'll think about, oh, I, I want to unwrap all the different presents that are going to be under the tree. Maybe for some of us, we think about unwrapping a Christmas turkey or a Christmas ham, Maybe for some of us, we think about unwrapping the credit card bill that comes due in January, right? I mean, when we think about unwrapping, what do we usually think about? Maybe for some of you this year, you are actually unwrapping something else. Maybe this season for you is an unwrapping of a painful memory. Maybe for you, it's, it's unwrapping a, a relationship that has gone sour. Maybe for some of you, it, you're unwrapping loneliness. You know, maybe there's an empty seat at the table this year. Maybe for you, it's unwrapping the idea and the apprehension that just comes about when you spend time with family and you have family together and it's 
good, and yet at the same time, there can be frustration and there can be apprehension. And so maybe that's the tension that you feel as you come to Christmas. Maybe for some of you, you unwrap the idea that you just don't measure up. And so you compare yourselves to the people around you. And my prayer for us is that today and throughout this entire sermon series, what we are going to be able to unwrap together is the incredible presence of God who is with us in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see each and every week as we look together at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. This will be our theme every single week, and we will come back to this passage over and over again, though we will also look to other passages in Scripture that really bring us to this idea of what does it mean that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. How we long to see the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision of pain and promise, as we were reminded, but more, the righteous looking up shall wake and see the spring green flash of gold when rainfall wakes the bee and the flower, the entire earth and streams the river to the sea as labor comes to rest and birth. This is what we are longing for and what we live in anticipation of. It is what we are reminded of in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. So if you've brought your Bibles and you want to open them up there, I encourage you to do so. Of course, you'll be able to follow along on the screen behind me. But here's where I want to at least begin by giving you just a little bit of background so you understand the context of what it is that we're going to be reading together. Isaiah was written about 750 to 700 years before the birth of Christ. It was during a time when Assyria was on the rise. And so you had other kingdoms that were around Assyria that were worried, and so uh, they banded together to try to fight the king of Assyria. And they come to the king of Judah, King Ahaz, and they say, hey, Ahaz, join together with us so that we can fight against the king of Assyria. And Ahaz doesn't care for these gentlemen, and so he says no. And he begins to freak out a little bit about this. Well, the king of Assyria comes to him and says, hey, you know what? Why don't you be subservient to me? I'll protect you for loyalty. And so Ahaz has a decision to make. What is it should he do? Should he join with these kings? Should he join with the king of Assyria? Should he go his own way? And you have God send Isaiah. And Isaiah says, don't join either side because God is going to protect you. Once again, Ahaz kind of freaks out. He's like, well, well I, I, I'm, I'm not strong. I don't have the ability to do that. And, and, and Isaiah says, well, I'll give you a sign. And Ahaz is a kind of a false piety. And he's like, don't give me a sign. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. What he really meant is, don't give me a sign because if God gives me a sign, then I'm going to have to follow the sign and I don't want to do it. And Isaiah says, well, guess what? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. 
And what's the sign? We read in chapter 7, 14 that a virgin is going to give birth to a child. And of course, Ahaz is like, a baby? How does that help me? Right? You can imagine this. Like, I need help and deliverance right now. I don't need a promise. I need something right now. And what do we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, here's the deal. Ahaz ends up rejecting all of the advice that he's been given. And he decides to form an alliance with the king of Assyria. But guess what? It backfires. And he eventually ends up losing the kingdom anyway. But I, don't, I want you to understand this. It's not before. He doesn't lead the kingdom into, into ruin. Because what does he do? He sacrifices his own children. He sets up sacrifices to idols. He takes out the things of the temple, the furnishings, and he sets up idols uh, and altars all throughout the city. He leads the people to their destruction. He sets up Judah for failure. Now, why do I say that in terms of background? It's because of the fact that instead of seeing God as his wonderful counselor, as his mighty God, as his everlasting father, and as his prince of peace, instead of trusting in God, he trusted in himself. And he ended up in trouble. And I want us to think, how often do you and I fall into those same traps? Instead of trusting in the wonderful counselor, we end up trusting in ourselves. We end up trusting in the advice that we hear from other people. We end up trusting in the words of the world. And how many of us could point to times in our lives where we have trusted in our own thoughts and in our own ways, and it has, it has led to hurt and to pain. And so instead of unwrapping what we want and trusting in ourselves, what would it look like for us to unwrap seeing God as this wonderful counselor, as understanding that he is God with us, that he, Jesus, is the son that was born. It's Jesus who establishes a new government and a kingdom that will rest on his shoulders. This is why we can see this wonderful counselor for who he is, and yet, you and I so often struggle with this, don't we? Imagine the difference it would make in your life if you saw Jesus as your wonderful counselor. You know, if you want to humor me and, and, and you want to close your eyes for just a, a moment, it just imagine 
that Jesus is that counselor. I want you to think about a time where maybe you have gone to a counselor and it has been a good experience. You have learned from it. You have grown from it. What if you saw Jesus as that counselor? Or maybe you've gone to see a counselor and it's been a poor experience. And the idea of seeing Jesus as a counselor perhaps is a struggle. But what if you could see him as a good counselor as opposed to one that is bad? You know, if you and I went back to the original language, we would see that that word pele, what it means is to wonder or astonishingly or beyond understanding or too great for words. What, what Isaiah is saying is that Jesus is incomprehensible. That Jesus is amazing. You cannot come up with adequate words in order to describe who Jesus is. He is wonderful. By the way, notice here, Isaiah doesn't tell us what this wonderful counselor is going to do, but it does tell us who he is. And what he says is that he is altogether incomprehensible and he is wonderful. And the more you get to know this counselor, the more wonderful he becomes. Then you see the word yoetz, right? Which means to advise or to consult or to guide. Think about the implications of this. That this child is going to be born, but he is no ordinary child. This is God taking on human flesh and bone. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Why? To guide us back to God through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. As the wonderful counselor, Jesus desires to guide you through this life, and he also desires to guide you into eternity. You do not have to unwrap the joys and the sorrows of this earth on your own. We know that we have a wonderful counselor. By the way, we see this in the Old Testament. What is the New Testament? say about this counselor notice a number of different things one in hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 he it reminds us for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, sometimes if I've gone to see a counselor, uh, that first meeting, there can be some apprehension there. I don't know if I'm going to relate to this person. I don't know if we're going to, if, if when we share, you know, there, if it's going to be a good fit. You don't know if when you finally share with what you're going through, if they're going to be like, you're a weirdo, 
right? Like you have no idea if they're going to kind of balk at the things that you're saying. So maybe you go to a counselor and maybe you feel a little bit of apprehension. But see, this is the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Because he was God, he has power over sin and death. But because he is human, Jesus knows everything that you have gone through. Every temptation that you have faced, he has faced, and yet he did it without sinning. What this means is that we have somebody who knows what it's like to be us, who understands what it's like to be us, yet we also have someone who can guide us and counsel us into eternity because he was able to do it perfectly. This is the promise of this counselor. And the good news is because he knows us, we can actually approach him with confidence. What good news is that? Now, when you go to this counselor, what is the posture you need to assume. There's a couple of things that I want to draw out this morning. The first is this. We have to admit that we need help. You got to admit that you need help. Look, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, 31 to 32, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is why the wonderful counselor came. He came for people like you and he came for people like me. The thing is, we don't like to admit that we need help. We like to think that we're okay and that we can do things on our own. I want to go back to that counselor example that we were talking about just a moment ago. I want you to think about the experience that perhaps you've had. You know, maybe you go into your counselor, you sit down, and they're going to ask you a couple of leading questions. Well, what is it that brings you here today? But a counselor can only go where you take them. If you don't admit that, hey, there's something that I'm wrestling with, they might have a few other probing questions that they try to draw out of you. But you know what? If you don't admit that there's a problem, they're not going to be able to help you. Maybe you're like, oh, I don't go to a counselor. Let's so say you go to a doctor. You go to a doctor. You sit down. The doctor says, what brings you in today? And you're like, mm, I'm actually fine. Right? I mean, okay, well then a doctor is only going to be able to help you if you admit that you have a problem and you're able to identify what some of those problems are. It's the same thing when we come to God. The catch is this. You have to be honest. You have to be honest with the counselor. You have to be honest with your doctor. If you lie, if you try to manipulate, if you don't tell them what's really going on, they are not going to be able to help you. You have to be willing to get down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in your life. And this morning, maybe you, you need to ask yourself, where am I hurting? Where is my pain? Where are you weak? 
or vulnerable? Where, where are your dysfunctions? What is it that you are trying to hide from God or from other people, maybe even from yourself? Where, where is it that you need that counselor to show up in your life? Maybe some of you right now are battling a season of depression. You wake up every morning and you're wondering, how am I going to get through today? Because you just look around at your life and at the world around you and you just don't feel like tomorrow is going to be any better. And so you carry this weight of heaviness and hopelessness. Maybe you live in fear. Always wondering what's going to be around the corner. Never knowing what's going to be next. Always thinking that somebody is out there to get you. Maybe some of you feel stressed. You're looking at your to-do list. You think about the things that need to get done. You're thinking about your workload. You're thinking about the house that needs to get fixed up. You're thinking about all the weights and the pressures that you're feeling on you in the moment. You're thinking about how do I get everything done before Christmas? Maybe you're thinking financially. I'm financially stressed and I don't even know how I'm going to be able to make the bills for all of this. Maybe you're saying to yourself, once again, we've taken on too much this year. Maybe some of you are lonely and you feel that loneliness more and more during this season. Maybe you look around and you see what you think are happy families and you think, why can't I have that? Maybe you think about the stress that your families are under and you just look around maybe jealously, of course, not necessarily knowing what's really going on behind all those smiles. Maybe for some of you, you're lonely because there is that empty seat at the table this year. And so you're thinking, boy, I just feel so alone. Maybe for some of you, it's a physical illness. And, and you just feel like you've been battling this over and over again. And it leads to anger and to disappointment of what you're dealing with. Whatever it is you're unwrapping this year, the counselor wants us to be brutally honest and to come to him. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. See, a good counselor listens as you cast your cares on them. Jesus listens to us when we come to him and when we share with him the things that we are struggling with. Notice a second posture that we need to assume when we come to the counselor is we have to listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of that counselor. At the transfiguration of Jesus, right, a voice comes from the clouds. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If God were to give us a word today, what might he say to us? Listen to Jesus. I think one of the problems in our society is the fact that we have lost the ability to listen to the voice of God. Do you even know what the voice of God sounds like if he speaks? The reason why is because you and I probably are so inundated with everything. We live this way. We have headphones in. You look around, everybody's face is buried down. And then you come home from work and you turn on the TV and you turn on your computer 
and it's just this constant overload of everything just coming at you. Um, I did something this week that I was embarrassed by. I went to the digital well-being section of my phone to show me what my daily screen time is. Now, I could make an excuse and say, well, I use it for work a lot, right? And so that it's really mostly work-related. And, and I realized, wow, how much time do I, I waste on things and, and not focus listening to the voice of God? So I, I've, made, I've made a decision this week. Uh, I'm going to put it down. I want to go for a walk. I want to enjoy the beauty of the creation that we see around us. I, I want to I be able to hear God's voice as I'm seeing the things that are around me. I want to read scripture. And I say, God, I want to I listen to your voice in this. I, I, I want to pray. I, wa- I want to seek the counsel of others. I want to practice saying, God, I want to listen. I want to make sure I know your voice when it is that you are speaking to me. See, you and I are like, well, I don't always know when God is speaking to me. I can't always hear his voice. It was amazing. You know, we had people over for Thanksgiving, and we were at houses for Thanksgiving. And in the chaos of all of the people there, I could still pick out my children's voices. I can imagine and remember when I was a kid and uh, we were at church and we would be sitting across the, you know, the high schoolers, we'd sit separate from our parents, right? So they would be sitting over there, hundreds of people around me. We would sing hymns or songs and in the midst of it, I could still pick out my mom's voice because of the way she ends her S's. Like you could just hear it. And, but you know why I could do that? Because I knew the sound of her voice. Do I know the sound of God's voice so that when he speaks as that wonderful counselor that I am listening to him? Does God speak to you when you pray? Do you hear God's voice when you read scripture? Do you hear God's voice through the wise counsel of others? I want to I encourage us to, to spend time listening for the voice of God. And third, we do what the counselor tells us to do. You do what he tells you to do, right? What's this all about? You follow instructions. If you go to a counselor and they give you some advice, you'd probably be wise to listen to it. Like, you know, you go to the doctor and they say, okay, you're overweight. You need to lose some weight. You need to do this in order to get healthy. Right? You know, whatever it is that you need to get out and you need to walk more. Whatever you need to do, take this medication in order to get healthy. Eh, I don't really want to do that. You're not going to get any better. When, when, when we hear the voice of God speaking to us, and as we heard this morning, that the voice of God speaking through the Holy Spirit, are we going to do what he tells us to do? We'd be wise if when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, the counselor that has come, that we would follow his voice. But what do you have to do? You admit that you have a problem. You listen to his voice. And then you do what he tells you to do. 
By the way, you see this in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Jesus has this encounter with this rich man. This rich man wants to follow Jesus. But what does the conversation lead to? Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Why was he sad? The wonderful counselor told him what he needed to do, but he didn't want to do it. And when the wonderful counselor speaks to us, are we willing to say, Lord, I will do what you are asking me to do? And see, this is why Advent is such an important time because it is a reminder of God's incredible love and grace. Not only has he sent Jesus into the world, but we also see that he has come to show us how to live and then to die and to rise again so that you and I can experience the richness of this world and also the promises of heaven. It is a picture of God's grace. And when we come to the table in a few moments, this is a picture of God's grace. God saw our sin. He saw our longing as we look at the world for something better than what it is that we are experiencing. And God did something about it. The hope and the longing that we have that we could not figure out and do on our own. God gave us exactly what we needed, even if we didn't want it. But what we have to do is come. Admit that we're broken. Listen to his voice and do what he tells us to do by following the example of Jesus. Colossians 2, 2-3 says this, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of what it means to be this wonderful counselor are hidden in him. In his divinity, he is all-knowing. In his humanity, he understands. In that blessed union of that divinity and humanity, we have hope. Hope in this life and hope for the life to come because of the promise of forgiveness, because of the promise of the resurrection, and because of the promise of that day when the trumpet sounds and the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Would we come to him 
this Advent season. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you invite us. That you invite us to come into your presence today. That, Lord, you inhabit the praises of your people. That, God, you are here with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, today you desire to remind us as we enter into Advent, Lord, that you indeed are this wonderful counselor. You are, Lord, that peace and that hope and that joy and that love. And we thank you that we see it together today and we see it together in the Lord's Supper that we celebrate together. We pray, God, that you would move here in power and that, God, we would be ever more drawn into your presence because of your incredible love for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.